Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History Advocate Hemingway. I'm back with Claudine, and today we're talking about the Père Lachaise Cemetery. This is a big one. If you guys don't know about it, you should, and Claudine's going to tell us more. This is the big one. If you are going to go to one cemetery in Paris, this, or even all of Europe, this is the one to go to. The Père Lachaise is over in the 20th arrondissement and is one not to miss because it is massively huge and you have some of the best people and notable people in French history there. Père Lachaise gets its name from the confessor of Louis XIV, um, a gentleman named Père Francois de Lachaise. He lived in a house near the chapel built on this spot in 1682 until his death in 1709. On May 21st, 1804, the land was reopened as a cemetery at the time, far outside of Paris. And this was actually opened the same week that Napoleon named himself emperor. And it was it was Napoleon that kind of pushed this through. It was known as the Cemetery of the East. And it was rather unpopular due to the distance because very few people wanted to hold their funerals or bury people there because it would be too hard for them to visit their loved ones. And it makes sense. And now it's like the most popular cemetery in Paris. It is. And you can still be buried in all these places. Uh, the very first burial was on June 4th. Um, 1804, and it was of a five-year-old girl named Adelaide Payard de Villeneuve. In 1805, there was, they had an idea to move some of those famous names uh, to the Père Lachaise. Two of the first of the famous people found their way there were two of the French masters of words, the playwright Molière and the fabulous Jean de La Fontaine, which every French uh, person knows because they had to read all of that through school. Moliere, of course, was the major playwright in French history, kind of known as the father of France. Um, they have two large, large grave sites that were erected side by side, although none of their remains are actually there, which is kind of common among the many people that are in Père Lachaise going back in a lot of time. But Moliere and Jean de La Fontaine actually didn't really like each other. They did not get along. So it's kind of funny that they are laying there figuratively for the rest of their life. Um, it's not just for famous people. Like I said, you could anybody could be buried there. There is a funny thing where it is you basically buy a lease. And so say you die and you've bought a lease for 100 years. If your descendants 100 years later don't basically pay up again, they'll pull you up and throw you in the in, in another part of the cemetery. I know. I love how they kick you out. I know they kick you out, which is like, oh, so I guess, you know, that's kind of also horrible where somebody's like, I don't really happen care what happened to great uncle Mark. <laughs> I'm not paying his rent. <laughs> I'm not paying his rent, right? But with Moliere and Fontaine, along with them, people started to want to spend eternity there. You could also find the graves of Colette, Pissarro, Angra, Balzac, of course, Delacroix. Jericho, Oscar Wilde, Edith Piaf, and Victor Noir are just a few of the names you could visit. I always have a running list of tombs to go search as I'm doing um, research on French history. 
but there's a few of them that you definitely don't want to miss. Um, one of them, I think that they should, should just have like a little speaker and it just plays his music. So it is the grape of Frederick Chopin um, with one of, you know, they could just have his nocturnes playing there, just like, you know, floating through the air. The Polish virtuoso made Paris his home, staked his claim to the Romantic movement of the 19th century. He arrived in Paris in 1831 in September after his plans to move to Italy were thwarted by the revolution in the country. Hey, he had a hard time getting a visa to France so from Poland, so he reached out to the French who were able to give him a visa that stated he was just passing through on his way to London, but he never went to London. He stayed in Paris the rest of his life became a citizen in 1835. His life was friend, filled with the friends like Delacroix and Liszt and his even his lover, George Sand. But it was his music that we still love today. Between 1830 and 1832, he wrote three of his most famous pieces, The Nocturnes. Um, the twinkly and graceful notes were written when he was just 20 years old. Number two is the most recognized piece of music in the world and is what I play many times um, during the day when I sit and I write and I have to actually focus. But like many artists, Chopin died at a very early age. He rarely performed publicly, falling ill over the last few years of his life. And at 36, he died of tuberculosis. That's so young. Holy cow. The amount of famous people that were involved in like creatively that died at 36 and 37 are crazy. Like I actually have this running list and someday we'll do podcast episodes about the amount of people and the very famous people that died at 36 and 37 years old. It's really, really bizarre. Yeah, don't they call it the curse of 37? Because like yeah. Amy Winehouse, Kurt Cobain, the Doors guy. Yeah. All of them. But like old people, like Van Gogh and those kind of guys. <laughs> all those guys do. The dead guys that been dead. Yeah, but it is kind of very strange. Um, but before Chopin died, he planned out his entire funeral. And this is a story that I love. He wanted to be held in the Eglise de la Madeleine, and he wanted Mozart Requiem performed. And this is where it all came to a screeching halt. At the time, women were not allowed to perform in the church. And it took almost two weeks from the church for the church to give in and allow Jean-Anne Castellan and Pauline Verdot to perform, um, although they had to hide behind a black curtain in the oh, church. Really? Yeah. So they had to, you know, and later, you know, Colette had funeral. There's all these people had their funerals there. But when he had his, they were, they said that at first they were like, no, you can't do it because women can't perform here in the church. That's so sad. <laughs> Very strange. But my guy Delacroix served at one of his, as his pallbearer. Um, they were friends for a long time and he actually painted him once in a painting, a portrait of both uh, Chopin and Georges And then after they broke up, Georges had him cut it in half. So the part which just Chopin is in the Louvre, um, Chopin is buried in the Père Lachaise in a grand tomb by Jean-Baptiste Clasinier, who was his son-in-law of the former love, his former lover, George Sand. And then a marble uh, Utarp, who is the muse of music, cries holding a broken lyre. As he was lowered into the ground at his very own funeral, his sonata number two was played. While his body is at Père Lachaise in division number 11, his wishes was to have his heart buried in Poland. That's wow. <laughs> that's well. <laughs> yeah. And that, that happens a lot. There's a lot of times that that's what they do with kings, like their entrails, like their part or their like, like 
all their innards would be someplace else and their body be, you know, I think they were just spreading the love around. It's terrifying. Kind of gross. Um, artist Amadeo Modigliani was born in Italy in 1884 and was rather sick as a child, but as a gifted artist um, at a very early age. He ended up arriving in Paris in 1906 with a bag full of money. He lived fast and fueled on drugs and alcohol. His portraits have a style that's easy to spot and known as a modi. The models with their long faces and sharp edges found the interest of the buying elite in Paris but he suffered from mood swings and depression. He turned to opium and alcohol and was, was encouraged with the crowd he kept in Paris at the time. He suffered from tuberculo- tuberculosis on and off throughout his life. And it be it would be what ended up taking him down. On January, January 22nd, 1920, he was taken to the hospital de la Charité, suffering from tuberculosis, meningitis, and paralyzed. He died January 24th. His longtime love and girlfriend, Jean Abertin, was pregnant with her child, couldn't take the grief, and tossed herself out of the fifth floor window of her parents' apartment in the Latin Quarter. At the time, he was penniless. Yeah, when he died, he was buried in the Bagnol Cemetery, with the two, but the two lovers were reunited at Père Lachaise in Division 96. Um, today, you know, he's paying himself for millions of dollars. He's another one of those guys that didn't sell a lot of paintings when he was you know, alive. Um, but right now, currently, there is an exhibit uh, dedicated to him at the Musée de l'Orangerie, which is fantastic, which you definitely should see. Kind of a small exhibit, but it's really, really great. Uh, but yeah, the story of his, uh, and I think we did a whole episode about her. Um, and it's just such a sad story because her parents didn't want her with him. She had already had a child and she was pregnant with a second child. And just weeks after he died, she threw herself out the window. Yeah, I remember doing a whole episode about her. Yeah, it's very sad. Um, another gentleman that's uh, another Polish uh, roots is Guillaume Polinaire. He was a Polish, a Belarusian, Italian poet. <laughs> he was uh, had a very short life, but quite a tale. And born in 1880, he moved to Paris before the turn of the century became the biggest friend of the some of the greatest ar- artists at the time and writers, Gertrude Stein, Max Jacob, Chagall, Cocteau, Rousseau, and Picasso as they explored the cafes of Montparnasse and Montmartre. Um, from morning to night, their relationships led the poet to become a noted art critic and one of the first to coin the term cubism. However, some of his friendships with the artists would land a Polinaire in hot water. On September 7th, 1911, he was arrested with Picasso under suspicion of stealing the Mona Lisa, which we are going to talk way <laughs> depth about in December. Yeah. But after hearing the theft, hearing the theft of La Jaconde, Apollinaire thought he would do a, you know, be a good citizen. He went to the Paris Journal to report that his former assistant, Honoré Joseph Gary Pierrier, had stolen many sculptures from the Louvre in the past and sold them to both. Apollinaire and Picasso. So he thought he'd go to the police and say, hey, I know this guy steals things from the Louvre. Maybe you should talk to him. But the police in turn arrested Apollinaire, held him for a week before he was released. He all They also arrested Picasso and they let Picasso go pretty quick when they asked and Picasso said, I don't know who that guy is. So it also kind of ruined their relationship. Apollinaire <laughs> and Picasso weren't really friends after that moment. 
Um, at the start of World War One, Apollinaire decided to become a French citizen and enlisted in the war, which was uh, would last until a piece of shrapnel tore through his helmet, almost killing him. The injury would alter his mind forever, and he would die. Um, and at just 38 years old in 1918 and laid to rest at Père Lachaise in 86th Division. I feel like there's so many young deaths in this cemetery. I know there should like I should go in there, you know, spend like four days making a spreadsheet of how old people were. <laughs> <laughs> um, another one I love because it has and I didn't even talk about Delacroix, but another one that I love is uh, because it has something to do with the loop is the tomb of Louis Visconti. He came from a long line of archaeologists and art lovers and enrolled in the Ecole des Beaux-Arts and began to study under Charles Percier, a man who would leave his mark on one of my favorite buildings in Paris. During his teaching, Percier was also walking over the newly built Pont des Arts to the Louvre, where he was working under Napoleon Bonaparte, breathing new life into the former Palace of the Kings, Visconti was taking it all in, and when he finished school, he began working for the city of Paris as architect of the 3rd and the 8th arrondissement and their monuments. While his old teacher worked for Napoleon, it was Visconti who was tasked with the job in 1840 to transform the city for the arrival of the former emperor's ashes as they returned to their final resting place. Visconti was also asked to create the sarcophagus that lies under the dome of Les Invalides that holds Napoleon. One of my favorites, the Fountain of the Four Bishops, is in front of Saint-Sulpice with those angry lions that Hemingway said were the angriest in all of Paris. Uh, but that all came from Visconti. In 1851, Napoleon III asked Visconti to complete the design of the Palais des Tuileries and join the building to the Louvre, immortalized in a painting by Jean-Baptiste Tissier. Visconti is presenting his design to the emperor, and his wife, Eugenie, where you can see the plans of joining the two palaces, creating a royal pa enclosed palace and offices of the Second Empire. It was a perfect job for Visconti in a place that he loved. As a child, his father was named curator of antiquities and paintings at the Musée Napoleon, later known as the Louvre. Visconti would grow up inside the Louvre and it'd be the final project he never finished, dying in 1853 of a heart attack. He would never see his vision of the Louvre come to life. But his tomb is in marble. He reclines um, the life-size image of his conti, lays back, and underneath him is a bronze uh, bas-relief of the new Louvre that was designed for him underneath it. So you could go there and find more of the Louvre in Père Lachaise. That's so cool. I have to go look for that. Yeah, I'm very excited. There's a bunch of other cool ones that when we've talked about, I think a couple of years ago, I talked about some of the cemeteries there, uh, some of the monuments there. Like there's the one with the potatoes on it. There's Parmontier. There's a couple of other, you know, we didn't talk about the famous Edith Piaf and Jim Morrison and Oscar Wilde. Um, these are kind of some other ones you want to find that are pretty cool uh, in and of themselves. Definitely. I mean, there's so many famous spaces there. And I think they do have like an online app or something you can use. Um, I don't know. I mean, what I did the first time I went is if you you could go in there, but they don't have any maps for you to carry around. Some of the cemeteries have great big laminated maps you could carry around. But Perla says at least the last time I went there about six months ago, they did not. Um, you can go to the flower shops. There's always flower shops around the cemetery. Go in there and just for a couple of euros. You could buy a map. 
that you could just carry around in there or go online. Um, some of the big ones you could actually find on Google Maps. So if you use your Google Maps and you put in there like, uh, you know, Moliere, Jean de la Fontaine or Eloise and Abelor, they, you could use Google Maps to take you to it as well. That's great. That's that's good information. Because like you said, it's really big and you definitely need to, um, you know, is, know where you're going. It is very big and it, the terrain is not easy. There's cobblestones, but because it's also like a g- giant garden, there are tree roots that come up. If you are in any way impaired um, as far as walking or it's difficult for you to walk, I do not recommend going to Père Lachaise. Even if you're a very able walker, it's difficult. <laughs> and I am going to do a walking video, a live video on YouTube um, for this. And so the whole time I'm kind of worried about I'm going to need to be looking down at the same time that I'm looking around because it is pretty treacherous in there. Well, great advice. And guys, head on over to Claudine Hemingway to learn more, to check out her videos, her live walks. She can do tour planning for you. And tune in next week to learn more. Thanks for listening today, guys. If you're interested in learning more about Claudine, her tours, history, and the beautiful photographs that she posts all over Instagram, tune into her website, claudinehemingway.com.